Welcome back, everybody. Uh, my name is Freddie Fuller, and I'm the product specialist on the RBC European Equity team. And we return for this latest episode of our sustainability podcast to discuss uh, that most ubiquitous of topics, carbon, uh, and specifically the topic of voluntary carbon offsetting. So we're going to explore where they should sit within the, the broader journey to net zero and, and ask whether investors should be asking more of companies in this regard. And to discuss this, I'm joined by Lucas Harrison, Senior Analyst on the desk. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. So, Lucas, this is a, it's an area that sparked um, a fair amount of debate over the years, uh, perhaps because it's uh, so often touted by companies sort of, you know, front and centre as part of their net zero efforts. Uh, and it's also, you know, extremely visible to consumers as well. Uh, you know, recently, the fact that the, the, the TV host and comedian John Oliver uh, hosted a segment uh, on this topic during his uh, very popular late night talk show is demonstrative, I suppose, that the topic is is becoming far more visible and less niche. Um, but, you know, a, a recent report from the UK Climate Change Committee has, has also highlighted that while voluntary carbon markets can play a small but important role in the transition to net zero, there, there needs to be improvement. So they're saying stronger guidance, stronger regulation and standards uh, in order to avoid carbon credits being utilised uh, rather than direct emissions uh, reductions and targets, so perhaps we could we could start with your view of of, of the of the voluntary carbon market more generally. Yeah, thanks. So I guess the the voluntary carbon market enables companies and individuals uh, who emit carbon in their operations to offset these emissions by purchasing carbon credits in projects that either reduce uh, such a void or remove uh, carbon emissions from the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so there. Are, are over 4,000 projects globally, uh, and these projects can be either technological or nature-based projects. Um, so reduction uh, in avoidance projects can decrease emissions that would have otherwise been produced uh, from pre-existing activity by technological means, such as mm. converting from fossil fuel to renewable energy sources, or through nature-based solutions, such as preservation of forest and wetlands. Right. Uh, alternatively, removal projects uh, uh, remove emissions in the atmosphere through technological developments like direct air, carbon capture uh, in storage, or through nature-based solutions such as afforestation and reforestation. Okay, and, and the market for this has grown at a pretty extraordinary rate over the last decade, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the market has uh, been growing at quite a rapid pace. Uh, looking at the numbers, the amount of carbon credits issued uh, increased by nearly 400% uh, just from 2016 to 2020, right. with the total transactional value nearing $2 billion in 2021. Um, so that's around in about 0.8% of uh, the global GHG emissions. Um, and according to a McKinsey report, this could be worth upwards of $50 billion by 2030. Mm. Um, geographically, Europe is currently the biggest buyer of carbon offsets. Uh, they accounted for around 63% of offsets purchased in 2019, um, although Asia is a leader in terms of where the projects are based. Okay, interesting. So um, one thing that's that's held pretty constant i suppose over, uh, over that time period is pricing yeah um and it's an interesting point to note that 
it continues to be far cheaper to voluntarily offset um, for, for, for companies than to use the EU emissions trading scheme, which for those uh, not aware is a, is a regulatory uh, cap and trade scheme. So the, the price per tonne of CO2 for the EU ETS is, is hovering around sort of $80 a tonne. Mm-hmm. But for voluntary carbon offsetting, this ranges from $1 to $6 per tonne. So clearly there are big differences between the two schemes, who can use them, who will use them. But this difference is is pretty stark. It is. Uh, and it will be interesting to see which market is influenced more as there's a move to more of an equilibrium. Yeah, it's, it's one to keep an eye on. So um, there are a number of criticisms aimed at voluntary carbon markets um, and predominantly around this issue of, of quality. Yeah. Do you do you think the criticisms of offset quality are justified, uh, or perhaps um, less justified than they once were? I mean, uh, I think some of the criticism is fair. Uh, you often see media reports of big corporations claiming to be net zero through the use of carbon offsets, uh, but when digging deeper into the credits they're purchasing, and and then you realize they're paying to preserve forests that weren't really at risk of deforestation in the first place. Yeah. Um, That being said, the voluntary carbon market is still relatively new. Um, And as it uh, matures, we continue to see advancement uh, in the auditing and verification of carbon credits. Uh, So there's organizations such as the Integrity Council for Voluntary Carbon Mm. Markets uh, work to ensure that every carbon credit in the market are true emission reductions or removals. Um, But some of the issues that still persist around quality relate to how much of an impact they really have, as it's hard to compare to a scenario in which the project didn't occur. Um, There's also questions around the longevity of the positive impacts from the projects and, and also the risks of reversal or leakage. So nature-based projects like reforestation uh, will only have decades-long impact, whereas a tech-based solution such as carbon capture and storage are more longer term, Mm. uh, but could risk leakage in future from, say, abandoned or faulty storage wells. Um, But the biggest concerns around quality relate to additionality. Yes, and that's that's, uh, an interesting topic, additionality, which we've touched on before. So by this, we mean that it, it can be demonstrated that carbon removed from the atmosphere via a project would not have happened without uh, the carbon offsetting finance being in place. So, for example, a full-scale reforestation project on previously unused land with the large upfront investment required from offsetting would be considered additional. Right. While a power plant that was built with uh, carbon capture or efficiency technologies from the outset may be viewed as as unadditional, I suppose. And mm. much of this, um, as you mentioned, should really be viewed through the counterfactual lens. If it hadn't been for the financing uh, achieved through offsetting, would carbon sequestration have occurred anyway? Yeah, and this really leads us to uh, the difficult area of whether tech or nature-based solutions are preferable at this stage. Right. Um, as always, there's no easy answers, uh, mm. especially when you bring the financing aspect into the equation. Uh, at the moment, nature-based credits tend to be seen as higher quality and, and traded a premium to technological projects. Uh, so they account for only 21% of the projects 
but 45% of the credits uh, based on tons of CO2. Mm. Um, but it is important to try to look at it at the longer term as well. The progress made in renewable technologies such as solar and wind uh, have clearly demonstrated just how quickly the cost curves of nascent technologies can come down mm. uh, and in, indeed undercut more traditional technologies. Uh, the corresponding picture with the technological versus nature debate uh, may ultimately mirror this uh, with the technology cost curve on this accelerating downward trend uh, in the nature-based solutions often needing uh, replenishing, uh, proving to be more expensive perhaps than initially thought. Um, however, these are very long timescales we're talking about here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, what, what is increasingly um, uh, pertinent, I suppose, is to look at how corporate behavior is changing with regard to offsetting routes and methodologies. So yeah. people may have recently um, uh, seen that EasyJet have announced that they will be scrapping their carbon offsetting scheme uh, launched back in, in 2019. And the company has instead decided to focus on investing in other technologies, but to cut emissions directly. So it, it, these include uh, more efficient aircraft, more efficient fuels, um, but all the way through to untested technologies such as hydrogen fueled planes. Yeah. Um, so according to EasyJet, this will reduce emissions by 78% by uh, 2050, with the rest of its uh, emissions offset using carbon capture technology that's not currently operating at a, at a large scale or a scale at all. And I, I'm quoting directly from them here. They say, our carbon offsetting program has been the right thing to do, but you need to deal with your own operations. You cannot rely on out-of-sector initiatives. So I, I, th I think at a, at a high level, that's a fair point. Um, but you know, with airlines likely to rely on offsets um, to decarbonize, I mean, over 95% of their operations still by 2025, does the, the short term looks pretty bereft of solutions, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, this is a big statement from EasyJet, given they are in such a carbon intensive industry, uh, like you said. Um, and the cynics will say it's just a cost cutting plan after the struggles they faced during the pandemic. Right. Um, but this isn't necessarily fair, depending on just how much they're investing in the carbon reduction initiatives. Um, I think it's one we got to continue to track um, as they are very ambitious reduction targets based on future technology. Uh, so, so we need to see the progression over the medium term. Um, but just so you know, Fred, I, I should note that they still will allow customers to purchase voluntary offsets when they fly with the airline. Yeah, a, f a fair point to note as well. Um, so, Lucas, in your view, how should investors um, treat offsetting at a corporate level um, or, or even at an asset management level, I suppose? Uh, so for me, uh, carbon offsets should, should basically use as a last resort uh, for companies to reach their net zero ambitions. First and foremost, they should be exploring and investing in solutions that will help reduce their emissions on an absolute basis. Yeah. Uh, now realistically, many companies won't be able to get to zero emissions in their operations. So these are the situations where we see offsets serving a purpose. Um, trying to analyze the actual financial impact on balance sheets, is, it's a pretty complex exercise. Yeah. Um, so according to Bernstein, purchasing voluntary credits is currently only likely to be reaching around 2% uh, of companies adjusted EBITDA uh, for the highest end of the scale. So that we're looking at the transportation and infrastructure uh, industries that are most likely impacted mm. by higher prices in the longer term. Um, 
But I mean, right now with corporate corporate profitability uh, coming under pressure, uh, it will be interesting to see whether voluntary offsetting falls down management's, management's priority list. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and do you think this changes the way that um, investors should engage with companies? Well, I mean, investors should already be engaging with corporations in terms of what actions they're taking to reduce their emissions. Yeah. Um, if companies are making net zero claims, um, ask them how much of this is being coming through the use of offsets. Um, ask them about what voluntary carbon off, uh, carbon credits they're purchasing and and how they're ensuring they are high quality. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, the goal is to reduce overall emissions on the planet. Um, and what we don't want is a situation where carbon offsets are being used as a license for corporations to continue to pollute without consequence. Yeah, and, and that really seems to be the nub of the issue, striking the balance between the use of um, preferably measurable, high-quality and additional offsets, um, but ensuring that this isn't a smokescreen for a, a direct um, emission reduction, which is the, the, you know, the most important and, and vital route to actual decarbonisation. Um, well, unfortunately, that's all um, we have time for. So thank you very much, Lucas, uh, for joining us and for our listeners for tuning in again. Thanks for having me, Fred. <laughs>